All right. Well, good morning. Hey, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We'll uh, get to it in just a second. I have a couple of very brief announcements before we get moving. The first one is this, that uh, on July 4th, what day are we talking about? That's three weeks from today. On July 4th, we're going to be having church on the lawn. It starts at 8.30 with a breakfast. It's optional. But uh, pancakes, sausage, juice, all kinds of good stuff. We're going to have some stuff for the children. And, uh, and then at 9.30, we're going to go ahead and uh, gather one gathering as a whole church. And we'd love to have you join us. I don't know what your plans are for the 4th, but if you're in town, would you mark it on your calendars? Join us out on the lawn, out that direction. So that's number one. Second... I have an exciting thing to just uh, say and then uh, thank you to give. And uh, do you remember my trees picture? This is like every tree that's colored in is, uh, is a tree that represents $50,000 that the body has generously given to pay off the new facility. And so we got to color another half of a tree. We, this month, were able to pay off another $25,000. So we have two trees in yellow, two trees left. And, uh, and that is super exciting. And I just want to stop and say thank you again. To those of you who are giving so generously, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are a gift to us, an encouragement to my own heart, to the elders, and I don't know who gives what, and I like it that way, honestly, because I get to treat everybody on the same foot financially, which I think is healthy, but man, I just want to say thank you. If you are giving, thank you. And if you are giving, by the way, it's not too late. We, there's an opportunity for you to step in and support the work of the kingdom. Okay, that, that's that. Uh, I want to remind you of what we've been doing for the past two weeks, and now this is the third week. We've been coming, and there are 10 verses, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 22, 10 verses, and the Apostle Paul gives 15 commands. So each of the previous two weeks, and again today, we're going to take five commands. We have taken these, and it's not because the Bible is a rule book of do's and don'ts. Sometimes I think we, we mistake that and we think this is like, well, this is God's guidebook and rule book and I better, get, I better stay in line. No, this is a book that helps us treasure Jesus more. And, and what I, I want to just remind you of is that when we have the commands of Jesus, this is what Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, another word for keep is obey. Jesus says, if you have my commands and you obey them, then you're the one that loves me. We can declare our love for Jesus all we want, especially we can sing, we can do all these things, but the way that we really show it is if we just follow what he asks. That's the person who loves him. And the one who loves Jesus will be loved by the Father, God the Father. And Jesus says, I too will love that person and show myself or reveal myself to that person. And y'all, isn't that what we want? Like, we want Jesus. We talk about our mission here is growing, uh, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This is our chance but listen, this is the third week. We've got five more commands, and we are called to have, to understand and to internalize them, but also to obey. And I'll just reveal, uh, just here at the very beginning, this was a sermon where uh, all of the commands, I've had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know, I think I'm failing in this one, please forgive me, but there is one in today's sermon that I'm like, oh Lord, it was a battle in my soul this week. And it might be in yours as well also. But my hope is that we're coming not just today in a perfunctory way to sit here or to listen to something, but we are saying, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we want to hear your voice. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? I'm going to read starting in verse 12. This first part are the texts we have already hit, and the last part will be today's text. 
We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work for you. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Those are the past two weeks of the texts. Those are 10 commands. Here's 11 through 15, starting in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. Would you pray with me? Father, we really are asking for you to come. Send your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to point out and to convict our sin, to show us where we need to turn in repentance today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We ask that you would come and fill this place, change the atmosphere where we're coming in with hard or distracted hearts. Would you change us? Friends, do you want that today? Oh Lord, please, for the heart that longs for that, would you give that? Protect us from the enemy who would like to distract us or to get us to kind of think on totally different roads. Oh, Lord, let us focus on your word right now. We pray it in Jesus' name. And anyone who agrees can say amen. All right. All right, we're going to jump in, and we have five commands today. Uh, Here is the first one. It's found in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. I've just simply contracted the do not to don't quench the spirit. Now, we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, we need to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, is misunderstood at times. I hear people use a pronoun for the Holy Spirit, well, it. And that is actually not true at all. The it means he would be some kind of an impersonal force, maybe kind of like a la Star Wars or some kind of a, a, a power. No, the Holy Spirit is one of the three members of the Trinity. He is a person, not an it. So when we use a pronoun for the Holy Spirit, it's not it. We say it is he. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a personal uh, part of the Godhead in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's another thing about the Spirit is that He loves to indwell, come into people who believe in Jesus. If you have never come to believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit does not take up residency in you. But the moment, in fact, let me just take you to Ephesians 1. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, Friends, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that all of your sin, not just part of it, but all of it could go to the cross of Christ, when you heard that word and you believed in him, at that moment of belief, that's how we enter into this amazing relationship with the Father, is that we believe. And in that moment, it says that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. 
I'm going to say it once again. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. He's a, a promise of all that's going to come. God is going to finish perfecting you. He's already taken your sin out of you. That's why the Holy Spirit can dwell in you. But there's going to come a day when you're not just perfect in position, but you're perfect in experience. And the Holy Spirit, he's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. True or false, God takes his Holy Spirit from us once he gives him. Okay, let's all say false with great gusto. Ready? False. No. The whole, that's right. The Holy Spirit, when he takes up residence, God does not pull him back. God does not remove him. There is a psalm in, in Psalm 51 where it says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But in the Old Testament, things were different. The Spirit didn't come to every person who, because they hadn't believed in Christ. The Spirit would come on people at times, but then move from them. And here in the New Testament, when the Spirit takes up residence, he stays. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But, but let me just kind of give a, a little bit of an understanding. There's a difference between being indwelt and being filled by the Spirit. Okay, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says this, and do not get drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery, which is to ex, you know, sensual uh, pleasures that I am exceedingly uh, satisfying. No, he says don't get drunk with wine. And I want to take a quick squirrel trail here. I know, because I've talked with several people recently, about Nebraska Land Days starting this week. And I know that Nebraska Land Days, because it's a festival and because of all the, the history that we've had with this, this is one of those weeks where it's like, you know what? I go, I kind of hang out there, I drink, I drink some more, and if I get drunk, and it's just kind of what happens. Friends, don't get drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery, it leads to excess. No, instead, be filled with the Spirit. I talked with a friend of mine uh, who uh, just gave me some really clear, he said, boy, I used to go and I used to kind of just get trashed. But now I go and I won't go to Nebraska land without a purpose. And I don't linger unless I know that there's somebody else who's going to be there with me, kind of keeping me accountable that way. Friends, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now let's talk about that wording, be filled. If you like to take notes, I love this reality. I think this is so powerful. And there are believers, let me tell you, there are believers who are not filled with the Spirit. And sometimes it's because believers don't know what I'm about to teach you. And so maybe this will be new for you today, or maybe it's like, because we've talked about it before, maybe you're like, oh yeah, I think I hear it. Maybe you're gonna hear it fresh for the first time today. When Paul writes, be filled, there's four things about this that are powerful. Here's the first one. It's present tense. So really what Paul is saying is not just be filled, but be being filled. In other words, if you woke up this morning, and I hope you did, as I drove here to work today and, and to the, the church, I'm just like, Lord, Jesus, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need that filling today. But you know what? I'm going to need that filling again and again. Oh, man, I forgot something. Let me go back for just a second. The Holy Spirit is often described as a fire. Because I'm going to, I mean, I got two metaphors here, and I forgot the first one. And that's the quenching the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often like a fire who convicts us of sin. Sometimes you can kind of feel that burning or that sense of like, ah, what I'm doing is not right. That's the Holy Spirit convicting of us. Sometimes it impels us to go towards obedience. He impels us to go toward obedience. We can take, douse water on the fire of the Spirit. And Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't put out the fire of his movement in your life. Look, we quench the Spirit. We stop his filling. Whenever we say, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to obey that 
I know the Holy Spirit is asking me to take this step or to give this thing up, but you know what? I'm just not ready to do that. We pour water on the Spirit. We quench Him. We can get so busy, so distracted that we just don't think about the Spirit. We're not listening to the Spirit, and we quench the Spirit. That is the metaphor that Paul seems to be using and quench the Spirit. In this filling of the Spirit, let me back up for a second. It's like we're all a cup. And D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody said that I get filled with the Spirit. If you can imagine water being poured into the cup and we get filled with the Spirit, but then by our sin or distraction or whatever, we poke a hole in the cup and we leak. And we need continual filling of the Holy Spirit. We do not want to put out his fire in our lives, but we want to be filled. We want him to have perfect way to move, unhindered in our lives. This is a present tense, be being filled. Here's the second thing. It's a plural, which is like Paul saying, all y'all be being filled. So it's not just like for the pastor. It's not just for the spiritual believer who's like mature. It's, this is all y'all. If you're a believer in Jesus, all y'all be being continually filled. And then the, notice the third thing. This is a command. I did not even know this until like uh, probably well into my 20s. I never heard this before. That it was a command that God wanted me to be being filled all the time continuously. And I never did. I didn't even think about it. Just kind of like, well, I'll just try to do the best I can and, and be a good Christian. And then I found out there was this filling of the Spirit that I could tap into. Here's the crazy thing. It's a command, but it's passive. A passive verb is when we don't do the action. I am commanded. So it's like it's Paul saying, all y'all must be being filled, but you can't fill yourselves. And so how do we go about being filled? Okay, this is where we come in humility. And I think there's two parts to being filled with the Spirit. Part number one, okay, listen, if you are harboring sin, if you're harboring an unwillingness to be obedient to the Spirit, then you cannot come and say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Because you're already filling yourself with disobedience or with uh, different priorities. The first step is repentance to say, Father, where are those areas that I have been unwilling to release sin to you? Where am I cherishing sin? Where am I valuing sin? Or, or even just stuff that it may not be sin, but I just, I don't want, I don't have room for you right now. Let's get rid of that first. Then we can seek the indwelling of the Spirit. The, not the indwelling, but the filling of the Spirit. Spirit, you indwell me. I want you to dwell, be at home within me. In fact, I'm gonna ask you, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Father, I don't know where my brothers and sisters are today. And there are probably people watching this live or on the watching video. Lord, we need a filling of your spirit. Right now, we need a filling of your spirit. I do. These do. For our relationships with our important and relationships, we need a filling of your spirit because we'll botch those. For our decision-making, we need a filling of your Holy Spirit. We don't want to be wise in our own eyes. We want to listen to you. And so we, we pray right now, Holy Spirit, will you fill us? And Lord, show us where those things are that would block the filling of the Spirit. Show us where the holes in our cups are. Spirit, thank you that you've been given to us, that we never have to, to wonder if you'll ever be taken away, but we want you to be at home in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.
Here's the second command, and I'm going to lump these two together. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. So again, I just contracted it. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. I believe in many ways, these are, these are two sides of a coin. You've got prophecies that are coming. Don't despise them, but also uh, you got to test everything. So let's talk about this for just a moment, because I think when we hear prophecies, I don't know about you, but I think about the Old Testament when there were prophets who were divinely inspired by God, and they spoke these words to Israel. And like, we've got a lot of books of the Old Testament that are by prophetic names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, all of these different prophets. And in the Old Testament, these were given by God, and it was, became Scripture, In the New Testament, it works a little bit differently. You might be thinking like, oh, well, prophecy, when I hear that, I'm thinking like telling the future. It's like, what's going to come? Actually, the bulk of prophetic words is not about telling the future. It's not foretelling. The bulk of prophetic words are forth-telling. Prophecy is simply a way that an individual speaks on behalf of the Lord to an individual or a group of people. The gift of prophecy, and some would say that, well, this is not a gift that's in operation today. I'm just going to tell you, you can search it for yourselves, decide what you decide. I have experienced, I've been both personally and corporately, I've seen the gift of this, how the gift of prophecy works to help make the church healthy. Take a look at this in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may, what's the word right there? Oh, I especially want you to prophesy. I want you to to speak forth the truth about what God is speaking to you for his people. Now, apparently this is a spiritual gift, a gift to be able to speak clearly, put forth clearly a truthful word, again, from the Lord to an individual or to a group. And I don't know about you, but I have watched this kind of uh, speaking get abused. I, I've watched where people, they say, well, I'm, I am, uh, I'm prophesying from God and I'm telling you this is from him. And like, what do you do with that? When somebody goes, well, you know, if, I, if they've said it's from God, how can you fight against that? Well, there are ways actually to test and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to understand a couple of things. Any word by another human today, another believer, prophecy does not rise to the same authority as the word of God. You need to know that. Here's the other thing, is that no word of prophecy will ever contradict the word of God. God is a God of order, and God is a God who who will not contradict himself. He will do this in a way that blesses the body and builds it up. I think about this right here in chapter 14. Uh, We're going to talk about testing this. How do you test whether a prophetic word from an individual is true or not? Well, first of all, notice that it says you can can prophesy one by one. We're not doing the the prophecy thing like all at once. It's not going to be chaos. No, you're going to so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And here's the huge thing about how we test the spirits. We're going to test everything. Is this prophetic word from the Lord? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Here's what happens. is someone says, I believe that God is giving me a word. I'll give you a practical example. I was in a church, and there was a woman who came forward, and she said to the leadership, she said, I just sense that the Lord is saying, we need to be fixed on marriages because there's a huge attack that the enemy is about to launch. So that prophet came to the lead pastor at the time. And by the way, if you feel like you're having some kind of a word from God, you can come to me. 
as a lead pastor, a shepherd. You can go to any of our elders. If you do not know who our elders are, it's on the website. If you don't do the website, come to me. I'll try to point them out to you. But you can take them to any of those, to someone who's on staff here. You can bring, as a prophetic word, you can bring it to a leader, and it's the leader's job to then say, Lord, I'm going to take this to the other prophetically gifted people. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the other prophets. We're in community with one another because God doesn't go and say, I'm going to speak some word to this person and not reveal it to anybody else. That's why we we are in community together and we test inside community. Prophecy is to be done in an orderly way. And because we do it, the spirit of the prophet is subject to other prophets. And we've got to see this because sometimes, sometimes we get our own flesh mixed up in it. And I, I got to tell you this, I pray that the Lord will raise up prophetically gifted people here at Berean. I have watched how this gift can be such a, a good thing for the church. But the prophet's job is not to come and and to speak the word and then to force everybody to like, you got to do it my way. The prophet simply delivers their message and then allows those who are in leadership, okay, here's what we're going to do with this thing. I've seen it where a prophetic word is for a different time. It's like, thank you. You have done your job. You have discharged this word. We are not despising it, but we're not sure it's for this moment. We test everything. Here's a way that we can test a word. What's the fruit of the word. Uh, Just again, a little self-revelatory. There was a word that I received at one point from an individual and they told me four things. I was at a summer camp. They said, here's the words that I have from the Lord for you. Number one, go for a walk in the woods, which fit because I was at the summer camp. Two, read Isaiah 55, six through 11. The Lord wants to speak directly to you. There's a lesson to be learned. Four things in an email that this person sent to me was powerful ministry. And out of that was a fruit that has happened in my life that I still see good fruit bearing years after that took place. Don't despise prophecy. Don't assume, well, that was just for a long time ago. No, but test everything. Listen, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, John says, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't just assume, well, this feels right to me, so I'm going to No, we can go, okay, Lord, is this really from you? I love this because our feelings are not enough to base the rightness or wrongness of a prophetic word on. Such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of what? Hey, Satan himself can look good. So we need to test everything. We need to ask, Holy Spirit, does this resonate with the word right now? Is this in any way conflicting? Does it bring good fruit? Are there others in my sphere who resonate like, yes, this is something. Don't despise the prophecies, but test everything. Again, some of you may not even realize that you're gifted prophetically. And it could certainly be something where you just say, Lord, I'm open to this. I have a a prayer, it's on a piece of paper in my office, and it simply says this, it says, Lord, do in and through me things I don't understand and maybe don't believe in. And what I love about that prayer is it's a very humble prayer. God, I I don't know, I don't have a whole, I can't see everything that how Christianity works perfectly. And there are things I believe today that I didn't believe 10 years ago. 
There are things that I will believe probably 10 years from now. And Lord, what I really want is simply to be obedient to you. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Okay, then we're gonna go on. Here's the fourth and the fifth one. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Really quickly, can you just, I'm gonna read that again. If you're reading along with me, I'm gonna stop and have you say a word. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's worth underlining. That's worth noting. Hold fast to good and abstain from all evil. Okay, so when, when Paul says hold fast, this is a, a metaphor. Like you can see this mental image of like grab onto it and hold it tight. Don't let go. In fact, you're going to need strength to be able to hold this one as tightly as it needs to be held. You're going to be tempted to let your hands slip off of this thing. The good that is out there, you can't just kind of be casual with the good. You got to grip on and know that you are being pulled away from the good. Our culture pulls us away from the good. Our own flesh at times pulls us away from the good. And we are called to hold on tight. Now, what what does the good look like? I started thinking about that. Think about this in in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, here's a definition of good. Okay, whatever is true, and, and, and I've, I've said this before, I remember this by Thurple, T-H-R-P-L, Thurple. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's anything excellent, anything commendable or praiseworthy, let your mind think about these things. So this is how we hold on to what is good, is there's a mind battle going on here. In our minds, we are called to grip on with that death grip. I am going to hold fast. I am not letting go of this. The things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, excellent and praiseworthy. I want my mind to dwell on those things. Okay, let me just ask, honestly, the movies we chose to watch this week the internet sites that we chose to surf this week, the social media we engaged with this week. Were we clinging? Were we holding fast? I am not letting go. I want that to be true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. Does that describe how I engaged or was I kind of losing my grip a little bit? And sometimes, again, we just get distracted by all of this life and we lose our grip. It requires strength and it requires a conforming of our minds. In, in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, it's not in your notes, but you could write it down. Paul says, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, in view of the fact that God's been so merciful to us, present your body, your eyes, your ears, your mind, present it to God as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Then he goes on in verse two and he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Again, this is so much in our minds. We have to train our minds to be stronger, to really grip on, to hold fast to what is good. And one of the ways that we can really train our minds, Colossians chapter three, Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, 
Other versions say, since you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Some of us, we have chosen this week to indulge our flesh and to indulge some of this in, in the things that we're viewing, in the things that we're listening to, that we're letting in the eye gate and the ear gate that are affecting the mind and we're losing our grip on what is good because we're indulging where we ought not to be. It's not true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. In fact, we haven't even given that kind of a grid onto our entertainment choices. Look, then Paul says something so powerful. He says, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from all evil. This is not the first time we've seen the word abstain in our study of 1 Thessalonians. Earlier in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. As a reminder, Paul's definition of sexual immorality is any sexual use outside of the covenant relationship between one man and one woman. It can be homosexual or heterosexual. It can be with other people. It can be in our minds when we're alone. He says, abstain from sexual immorality. And it covers every, por it's that pornea word, but now he broadens it out and he says, I want you to abstain from every form of evil. Okay, this is where it got really hard for me and very convicting this week. Jessica and I were watching a show that is not, like, it hasn't been a bad show. And there's a, there's a show that, that I honestly have enjoyed, and, you, and it's, you guys know what this is like. I assume you know what it's like. You start watching a show, and you like the characters, and you get into the storyline. Is anybody with me on this one? And you like it. And then something pops up, and you're like, oh, that is, that is not true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. And as I was studying for this and abstain, abstain from all forms of evil, I was like, oh, Lord, last week there was something in there that was a form of evil, and I don't know, I really like the show. Like, it was a small bit of the show. We could probably even fast forward if we needed to. It's okay for me to watch it, right, Lord? Like, I really want it to be right for me to watch it, right, Lord? And it shouldn't have been this hard of a battle, but it was. It's a darn show. My heart, I think I had let my grip slip on the, on the good. I hadn't held fast to the good, and I was okay with some of the evil, the forms of evil. And yet I still kind of, I'm like, well, Lord, I know the day that it's going to get dropped, and I kind of want to watch it, and maybe I can watch it. And is it okay? And would you please let it be okay? And the Lord just never gave me any peace with that. And I'm so grateful to my wife who, when I shared this with her, she was supporting me and I'm grateful. Because I want to abstain from every form of evil because I can't just have the commands of Jesus. I have to obey them. And some of us right now, you're hearing what I'm talking about and you're, I mean, the spirit is bringing the stuff to your mind of like, oh, maybe it means that you're going to need to give up that. Abstain which means to go without, willingly say, that is, I have the freedom, I could watch that, but I'm not going to. Let me take you to something, and in the, the YouVersion Live event, there is a, a link 
to a talk, just a snippet of a talk. It's a, it's a sermon by John Piper back from 1987. But this has aged well. Okay, it's 34 years old. You can listen to it. Not now. Don't, don't cue him up now. But you can listen to it later. And he, and he talks about this verse right here. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have people who have gone before us by God's grace, people who on this side of the cross who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have tested the prophetic words, tested everything. They didn't despise them, but they tested everything. And then they clung to what was good and they abstained from what was evil. We have those people. There are witnesses. And now we're running this race. And it says, we lay aside every weight and sin. And you know what grabbed John Piper as a young boy that a pastor brought this out? And I've heard this before, but it just grabbed my soul this week. There are things that we need to throw, sins that we need to throw aside, things that we're watching, things we're indulging in, things that we are not abstaining from. It's a form of evil, and we just cherish it, and we got to throw it off. But he even took it a step further. Notice that the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say, let's throw off every sin. He says, let's throw off every, do you see it? Wait. He said, there are some things that aren't even necessarily sin, but they keep us from running well. And this is where, and John Piper will do a much better job of explaining it. But I love this idea that sometimes we come to the stuff in our lives and we ask, we ask this question, what's wrong with it? It's, that, is a, that is a beautiful justification, self-justification question. What's wrong with it? Isn't nothing that big a deal? Like, is it really that bad? What's wrong with it? That's the minimal question to ask. And, and, and there is a maximal question we ought to be asking. Not what's wrong with it. What's wrong with my gaming? What's wrong with my social media? What's wrong with my surfing? What's wrong with all these things? That is the minimal question. We should be asking the question, does this help me run? Does throwing this off help me run? Does doing this in my life help me run? And if the answer is no, then let's throw it off. To lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Again, I am praying that the Holy Spirit, even right now, is telling you things, bringing to your mind, I got to throw this off. And you're at the junction where I was at a few days ago. Please don't harden our hearts this morning. I know what that looks like, and that's how we quench the Spirit. We pour water on His fire. That's how we leak, and we're no longer filled with the Spirit. One who has my commands, but not only has my commands, but also, what's the next word? Keeps them or obeys them. That's the person who I will show myself to. Is it worth it to abstain from that evil in order to see Jesus? That's the question that we have to get gut level honest with ourselves about. Let's run the race that's set before us. Now, how in the world, like, I don't know about you, but these 15 commands, I've looked at them and I'm like, yep, fail, 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 fail. At least at sometimes. How in the world do we not just get buried under our inability to obey these commands? This is where we look to Jesus. This is the second part of Hebrews 12 too. We look to Jesus 
that he is the one who is willing to take all of our failures at the cross. Upon him, by his wounds, we were healed. He took the punishment for our failures, our sins. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, to see brothers and sisters come to be rightly related to his father. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's now in the place of power. And he willingly says, I see that you fail. I see that you have not held fast to the good. I see that you have not abstained from the evil. But I will take that onto myself. I will suffer the consequences that you should have. And then he died. And then he rose, and now he is at the place of power. And he gives us his Holy Spirit today to back into the Holy Spirit. And the first step is, Spirit, here's where I have lost grip of the good. Here's where I have been indulging, not abstaining from evil, and I need you to forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness and fill me. Will you do that? Because when we do, we have the command of Jesus, and we obey it, get to see him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who loves us so much and is longing for the day when we finish the race well and he, we fall into his arms and he embraces us so dearly and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you bow your heads with me? And typically I'll give you some quiet moments, but I'm not gonna do that. We're gonna do communion in just a moment and you'll have more kind of space of quietness. What I want to do is simply pray over you this way. Father, you, you're the only one who by your spirit can convict hearts and change people. My words are nothing. Your spirit is everything. You're the one who causes growth. Would you do that? Bring to mind where we have despised prophecy, we've quenched the spirit, where we failed to test, where we have not clung with all of our might to the good, where we have not abstained from evil. Lord, would you please speak to us now and thank you for the cross that covers all of our failure and our sin and our transgression. We are so grateful for that. We bless you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.